You're listening to the Lost in Translation podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook using the handle at RadioLitDK. And if you like what you've heard, then please remember to subscribe. Enjoy the show. Every Tuesday, we're building bridges by tearing down walls between internationals and Danes living in Denmark. Join us on a deep dive into the most pressing issues in Danish society, according to internationals. Live on T-Radion. Tonight we are attacking childcare, education and cultural values in Denmark from the point of view of internationals. How do you ensure your children can settle into a new country and culture when you haven't had time to get to know it yourself? And how do you make sure that your own cultural values aren't lost in translation? For the last episode of this season, we talked with Italian parents Teresa and Alessandra about seeing your children growing up in a different culture and a culture significantly different from your own. Covering Danish society from Greenland to Gilalai. In-studio debates, live chats and more. Experts, expats, Danes and internationals coming together to recover what got lost in translation. You can leave your questions for Teresa and Alessandro in the chat here on Twitch. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Radio Lit DK. But before we dive into tonight's show, Cam, what do you have in store for us? Uh, today, the Danish government have announced the restrictions that have been put in place in uh, Copenhagen have now extended to all 98 uh, municipalities across Denmark. The reason is the rise of spread all over the country. Uh, the aim is being to reduce the spread to avoid a situation where the Danish health sector comes under pressure. So at the moment, Miriam, we have restrictions on Shetland, mm. and they've now extended to all of mainland Denmark, with the exception of the Faroe Islands and Greenland. Yeah, it's been kind of done in steps, right? We started with 38 yes. municipalities, then 31 was added yes. uh, to the list, and now they've expanded it to include all 98 municipalities yes. in mainland Denmark. Um, so basically what has happened here in Copenhagen has now happened across uh, Denmark. And what are the restrictions? The restrictions are that classes from grade five and up are closed to uh, physical presence. That means that it's all changed to online kind of, uh, online education. Um, all cinemas, indoor sports, leisure activities and cultural institutions are to close. Restaurant, bars, cafes are also to close uh, for everything apart from takeaway. All public non-essential functions to transfer to working from home and all private offices are also recommended to work from home. Home. Work from home. Are you working from home? I am. Yes. Yeah. Can you tell? <laughs> <laughs> it's right. You're starting to. Sh- it's starting to show in people's yeah. face, right? <laughs> so this is now in place until the third of January 2021. Mm. Of course, it can change. That's the government's uh, wording, <laughs> not yeah. lost in translations. <laughs> If you ask me, it's most likely to change. But yes. also because they have already announced that even after this kind of lockdown will be lifted, the, the restriction in place prior to the lockdown, so the 10 p.m. curfew, and these kind of restrictions were, are due to continue until at least 28th of February. Yeah, we're in it, we're in it until January. Great. So it's going to be a, a, a Merry Christmas then. <laughs> yes. And the second story that we have tonight is mm. that the former deputy leader, Inga Stoiber of the opposition party Venstre, may be prosecuted in a criminal court for impeachment. This is due to a case in 2016 where Stoiber allegedly made an illegal instruction <coughs> to separate asylum seeker couples in Denmark. Uh, in 2016, the issue of child brides made headlines across Denmark and in response Stryber sent out an instruction to separate women under the age of 18 from their spouses claiming to protect the women and a total of 23 couples were split up 
and sent to live in different asylum detention centres. However, in 2019, when a Syrian couple complained, it was revealed that not all of the marriages were forced. Mm. You have some background information on this, don't you? Yes. So uh, the the thing that happened was that, as you've mentioned now, that the Syrian couple uh, started complained about being forcefully separated. What also t- happened was that a lot of the the cases that were being used to say how horrible the situation this was were cases where actually the couples had already been separated based on the fact that it was forced marriage. Now, what also happened was that, uh, according to both Danish law and European human rights law, you have to assess each case individually, then this kind of instruction that Stoiber sent out decided to take all the cases together and say, regardless of individual cases, if the wife is below 18 years old, they have to be put separately. They cannot live in the same asylum center or in the same room in the same asylum center. Um, this has caused a lot of stir, obviously, because mm-hmm. it is, it's impeachment. It's going against uh, Danish law and legislation. But I think what's most interesting why it's causing a, a huge stir is because her own party is very reluctant uh, to uh, agree to prosecute her for yeah. impeachment, obviously, because she's the deputy leader <laughs> of the party. Second, and everyone the, thought Danish politics was boring. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. You no, just no, have no. to understand what's going on. Another reason to study Danish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and another thing is that the main party in charge, the Socialdemokratie, uh, Mette Frederiksen's party, are also reluctant to prosecute her for impeachment because they themselves have... Uh, under scrutiny for an instruction um, saying a mandate, a mandate basically yeah. sent out in relation to the mink situation. Yes. So if they agree to impeachment with her uh, against her, they would also have to agree that what they've done themselves is not 100% by the book. Um, and that's why it's creating a bit of a stir. And that's why it's actually a pretty huge political scandal that... Um, that pretty we, huge, guys, and you heard it here first it, on Lost in Translation. <laughs> on Lost in Translation, <laughs> yes. But so, yeah, those were those were the most pressing news. That um, was the two, yeah, the two most pressing news stories this week. We do apologise for starting up a little bit late, but we do have the go ahead from the boss Daniel from Tiradian <laughs> to go a little bit over our normal schedule planning time. But we are very excited to bring you our last show tonight. Yes. So for our last show tonight, as we mentioned, we're talking about coming to Denmark, um, not just by yourself, but with your entire family and especially with small children. Most of us know, if we've lived abroad, how hard it can be to get into a new system and a new Mm. country, but also having that transition that process um, make it as painless as possible for your small children can be a real challenge Mm -hmm. so we're talking with uh, Teresa and Alessandro they met each other while studying at the same faculty of agriculture in Milan and after their second son was born Teresa was as as she put it asked to leave her work in Lecco in the north of Italy exploring her options she decided to apply for an Erasmus here in Denmark Mm -hmm. And in 2010, um, the entire family moved to Denmark when their oldest son was just about three, three and a half years old. And they've lived here ever, ever since, and they currently live uh, and run their own farm in Lyra, uh, which is in the middle of Sealand, the island where we are now. So we're happy to welcome Teresa on. She should be on by Skype right now. I don't know if you can hear us, Teresa. Yes, I can hear you. Great, and we can hear you too, so that's wonderful. So is uh, is it just you tonight? Uh, is Alessandro going to join us as well? Yeah, he was just outside with the dog, uh, and uh, I tried to reach him, so I didn't want to scream from one 
you know, from the basement. <laughs> right. The- we'll we'll assume he'll 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 come by after the the dog has had its uh, its air. <laughs> yeah. Great. Well, Teresa, maybe we can start off um, with you. Um, what we'd really like to hear as, as the first question: you you came to Denmark, and we've talked a bit about your experience, but maybe you can try and explain when you first came here how. How did how easy was it for you to figure out what ch- sort of childcare options you had and what were readily available for you? And also at the time you came, how old were both your both your sons? First of all, thank you for the invitation. I hope uh, my interview will help other people. When we came here in 2010, our first child Pietro was three years and a half, and uh, Leonardo was one years old. So the first one had to start what is Denmark is called Bonneau, kindergarten. And uh, Leonardo instead was uh, at the age of Rugestue, which is, you know, the first step of a kindergarten. I, I, not a nursery, but um, just the three years before the kindergarten. I, I really don't know the equivalent in English. In Italian, we say asilo nido. And uh, when we came, uh, I did my own research in order to find a place for them uh, because I knew that Copenhagen Commune, because we, we were at the beginning base in Copenhagen Commune, provide childcare uh, also at very affordable price and customize in order of, uh, you know, to, to pay according to your income, for example, and based on where you were living. And we used to live uh, uh, the first five years between the uh, Copenhagen Commune in the north and uh, Uh, Gentofte Commune uh, near Hellerup, on the really on the border. So we had to figure out to find a place not too far from home and on the way home from the university, from the faculty of Frederiksberg for me. And I had the suggestion for the Bonnehau uh, at the beginning, very close to us, near Ruparken. It was a huge place and uh, it was too scary for him because he was just arrived, he could not speak Danish. So we we changed after a few days to another institution, Montessori Borneo. <laughs> so it was only, you know, 20, 20 children, 15 children. It was a really a small institution belonging to the commune of Copenhagen, of course. And it was much better than the first one. And the other one is that wait like two, three weeks before being able to be enrolled and start all the step at the Vugestue, and the Vugestue was the closest one from our place near Reparke. Since then, uh, they, they, they have been uh, enrolled inside the institution. Immediately after, we got an invitation uh, for a medical evaluation for both children, because they say it was the standard procedure whenever a foreign child entered the, the educational system in Denmark, uh, receive a sort of a evaluation from a pediatrician. I think to just be sure that the child entering the system is in good health and to track the child since the beginning, I suppose. Mm. Can can I ask you, uh, Teresa, in your experience, uh, how did you feel like it was easy for you to find the information that that you needed did you feel like you had a good uh, introduction to the to the system here uh, in terms of how, what your children needed with yeah with the child care. i think i had to be i had to be a little proactive 
because uh, the first step when a foreign comes to register uh, for the residency uh, at the, um, the foreign office, I mean, uh, where you register to have the residency. And of course, being an European citizen, it's easier. And for the childcare, I've been told to look at the commune and that the main office was in uh, uh, Fredericksburg, you know, beside Noreport, where there is the bus stop and the metro station of Nor at Noreport. Here there is the, the central or the most important office for the commune. And uh, of course, there are many others around the city. But this one has been my first contact for the um, childcare, where they could see in real time which institution at the place, how many days uh, I had to stay in the waiting list, uh, and so on. Already 10 years ago, it was uh, totally, almost totally online. There are no formalities because once you receive the, the CPR, you are already inside the system automatically. And I came with the help of the university already with a contract, uh, an apartment, and so on. So I had my CPR after two weeks. And uh, I was at that office uh, before having the CPR, and they gave me like a provisional CPR just to be able to be uh, to have the children enroll. But even after one week, our own CPR arrived, and the visa and everything. So it was not even necessary to use the provisional CPR. So it was really really faster. Can I ask you? Um Overcoming the sort of the, the challenges of getting into a new system is one thing, but how well did your, your sons adapt in the beginning to, to coming to this new country and getting into these new schools? Like you said, they didn't speak Danish when they came here, right? No, no, but first one was more challenging because three years old, you are already able to express yourself, understand uh, what the adults and the others say, and he was used to be in the... Um, childcare in the kindergarten in Italy and um, he already tried actually because we stay some time in Argentina because uh, we participate to a project in Argentina and he stay in a kindergarten in Argentina when he was one one years and a half and he had no trouble there but smaller they are younger they are and simpler he is and uh, when you start to perceive what is around you you don't You can you talk and the other they don't understand you. The other talk you and you don't understand them. It's caring. So at the beginning, he had to be accompanying this transition, and uh, we stay. We change to stay with him uh, one hour, two hours every day, and every day we stay at the beginning 20 minutes with them, then 30 minutes, then one hour, then one hour and a half, then two hours. Instead, Leonardo, after one week, will stay uh, with no problem. The, the smaller, the youngest, you know, but it was only one year old. Teresa, I see now that your boys have, have grew up and they're in, they're coming into the school system now. I assume that they're in, is it Falca school? And... Yes, yes. Now, you mean now? Yes. Yes. Now, yeah. Let, let me just... I believe she's going to bring us a surprise. <laughs> no, no, it's because now we have a... Uh, but I don't know if you can... Uh, 
Oh, that reminds me of my own Leonardo. school time. Oh, there we go. There That's we a go. handsome fella. <laughs> Leonardo. He's going to love this when he's 18. <laughs> <laughs> and this then is I the class I can show you because, ah, okay, maybe like that. No, this is the, their, this is Leonardo's class. And the other one is Pietro. And uh, to show you that now they are perfectly integrated. Because <laughs> they have their Danish school photo. Yeah. This is very true. With the proper background and everything. everything. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he's not anymore three years and old. He's almost 14. I don't know if you can see. Despite his, uh, the countryside, it's quite a multicultural class. So. Okay. Mm. So the boys now are, are in their teens. And how... How is that with schoolwork in terms of helping them? They're go I assume they're going through the Danish school system and it's not an international school system. No, since the beginning, it has been a choice. Also because I don't know. Right now, I think in Copenhagen commune, there is a communal school for foreign children. But uh, 10 years ago, you had no choice. The only international childcare was offered by private school for a an higher price, but at the same time, we were thinking since the beginning that the best way to be in touch with the Danish society was to have children and enroll in the public uh, childcare. And we are the product of the public uh, school system. So we strongly, I'm a strong advocate of a public system. And uh, so, Do you feel like that your, your experience bringing the boys through the, the, the Danish public school system has been a positive one? Or has there been any points during that experience where you've you've kind of lost the, the faith or the light of the tunnel, so to speak? Uh, no, we they they didn't lost anything. They 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 were enriched because now we speak Italian at home. Also, it's not a choice because our family in Italy, they no one of them speaks uh, Danish, so it's not a choice. It's a necessity. And the second thing is. We want, since the beginning, to be in touch with the local people, our neighbor, to meet the others and uh, to meet our um, of our host country. So I think uh, it's necessary to make an effort. At the beginning, it was hard for them. It was hard for us to learn Danish. But it's something that, you know, the, the results, the harvest of all those efforts after 10 years came with a lot, a lot of advantage because uh, I feel home now first and I don't feel a foreign anymore. Even if I don't have the citizenship, I could start the process to be a citizen. I just don't have time to study for the language test because I'm, I work very much and, 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 I, and I don't have time basically. But I could do it eventually and also because uh, once we decide to stay. I think it was mandatory for us to learn uh, the, the language. And, uh, you know, now the children, they are bilingual. They are struggling, you know, a little bit with written Danish because Danish is quite difficult for the Italian uh, native speakers in terms of approaching how to, you know, articulate and read and for our accent. But my accent follows me in every language I speak, so... <laughs> They are much more independent and uh, they have this sense of responsibility and discipline because in school they give them much more freedom and the maximum degrees of freedom 
always corresponds to the maximum degrees of responsibility according to the age. But basically, you know, Eric Fromm uh, says freedom is um, responsibility. And I think that's the key in this society. You know, personal responsibility and also uh, group work. This is also the other key. Uh, they, they start to do group work since the beginning. Um, even at the university, everything is based on group work. A lot of exams are based on group work, a lot of exercise along the course and the curricula. Of all the exam courses at the university are based on group work. And it's difficult to work together. Uh, it takes time, energies, but it's the best way to, you know, learn from the other, complete each other, because in real life, then when you work, you do teamwork all the time. And uh, you see people uh, trained to that and people absolutely not trained to that. And uh, the other thing, for example, I see also the difference with the Boy Scout group. Because in the Boy Scout group, uh, they start to go by themselves, uh, sleeping uh, in the forest or uh, traveling alone when they are already 11, 12 years old uh, and so on. And Alessandro, who has been Boy Scout uh, 25 years since he was a child in Italy, he says they do here the plan for the activities for children of 12 years old. It's what we propose uh, to the teenager of 16 years old, you know, it's just <laughs> everything starts, you know, before, <laughs> earlier, earlier. I heard a story about um, the boys, they, there was something where they, they referred to themselves as us Danes in regards to the Boy Scout group. I don't know if you could tell us about that. Yeah, and you know, because also the other funny thing, everywhere we go, we are the Italians. <laughs> in school, in school also in the Vugestu and the Borneo, oh, we never had Italian children, we are so happy, that's the first time. And uh, everywhere we come and we are the first Italian, because you know, maybe, I don't think Denmark, Denmark is becoming a multicultural country only in the last, you know, 20 years. 30 years before it was more homogeneous. So foreign, they stay much more in urban areas. But it's funny because I have much more contact with local people and I feel much more welcome here that I live in Lyre, now that we live in Lyre, than before in Copenhagen. We are not foreign for them. Did you see a difference between the living in Copenhagen and now living out of, of in Laia, which is which is what I think is 50 kilometers from the city. Yeah, it's it's, it's after Roskilde, it's further yeah. than Roskilde, yeah. So it's quite a small area. It's not a, a big city is what I'm trying to say. Have you seen a difference between the capital and, and Yeah, yeah, there? and uh, because people, they come to your place, they knock on the door, they are less formal. When you knock at the others, you know, you, you look impolite. Instead, in Italy, uh, your neighbor or a friend can pass by and call you on, ring the buzz you, and you say, come, come, uh, take a coffee, let me know, or you chat a little bit. Instead, uh, I've been told at the beginning, no, never, you should always agree to visit the other person in advance, or it's very, it's just very impolite. But I see here, you need to have a certain degree of structure and organization and timetable on what you do. But simply because people, they keep them very busy and then you risk to invite someone last moment and they cannot come just because their calendar is really filled. 
not because they they don't want yeah i, I think it, it, the problem is people here they they are busy you know and there is less spontaneity uh, instead uh, i think still in italy people okay they can be busy they have their calendar but less structure there is still some spontaneity so very often we do things last moment uh, with the risk of uh, receive no but not because people they don't want to come just because they are busy and uh, that's the only thing i will never get used to you know i'm not very good in planning i do plan all the time when you work you know so i i want to relax (laughs) i i think you understand i think me and me and cam we talked about this earlier how i i'm I need a structure on yeah. everything we do. <laughs> every every time we plan a show, it's not 100% down to the T, but it's it's I need to know the overall the time we're meeting, what's going on, <laughs> what time we're finishing, just to be sure. What what clothes are you wearing, Cam? You know, all these uh, just I want to be informed just yeah. so I can sort of fit the structure. Yeah, but those are technical details. It's nice sometimes to, you know, uh, you go to the week the weekend comes, you know, Years ago, you opened the cultural page of the newspaper and you check all the concerts, the things, you know. And now you have Facebook, the events in Facebook. When something really interests me or the children are really interested in something, we think in advance and Boy Scout, the music school, because they both play in the little string orchestra of the school. So they are very busy and school plans a lot of things in advance and so we became a little bit like that and uh, my parent uh, my mom in italy my sister when i start to say in february you know i've just booked the fly for july to sardinia so they start i don't know when it's it's not a little bit too early but Yes, of course, it's love it or leave it. You have to adjust with the place, where are you? So, but I remember the first year we came here, we were, we were quite surprised. We have been asked, ah, what do you do for New Year's Eve? We do a party in our, uh, in our house. Would you like to come? And it was the beginning of October. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> so, Teresa, see, I just want to come back to, to the boys. Now that they're in their teens and they spent a big chunk of their life here, when, if you're ever abroad or, you know, if you're in a different place, what do they, do they present themselves as Italian or do they, they say that they're Danish? Yes, that yes. They're always yes. Italian. At home, they often say, we in Denmark, we, we, and we say, Oh, we we are Italian. So I bet I bet we we Danes. I bet probably in Denmark they're the Italians, but back in Italy they're the Danes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but no, I think I think they they are quite proud. They are happy and uh, and uh, it's not that exotic, but I think they are appreciate also for the fact to be Italian. And in Copenhagen, Pietro at one third of the class uh, from abroad or mix and here they are less i can count uh, maybe you know it's less than 30 percent for sure there are other europeans there are the the yeah the pietro a, a friend from switzerland and another one alf danes alf from holland another one from palestine one from iraq and uh, now he has one uh, half Danish and half from Thailand. It's less than Copenhagen, but still, 
they are not the only foreign, I would say. And, you know, usually you have people coming from uh, Middle East or North Africa very often because of the program of the, you know, the, the, asylum, uh, uh, the asylum program when people are sent to the commune having place for the accommodation of the families. But uh, they do have also uh, comrades in the class uh, from mixed background. So, and they never complain about the fact to be felt like the foreign. I'm curious then, have you ever found that there was a point where maybe your uh, values coming from Italy sort of didn't match with the values here in Denmark or what was what was being going on here where you felt there was a clash between the two the Italian culture and the Danish culture I don't know if it's a value but I was laughing because I uh, we are we make noise we are loud <laughs> and for example we are traveling by train I can often realize that we talk normally but I'm the only one you can hear in the train. Well, okay, this is one aspect. So we are noisy and people, they look at us and they smile, ah, you're from Italy. And they start to speak to us in English and say, no, no, but co- just continue, please, in Danish. We live here. We are Italian, but we live here very, very often. And we get, very often we get present, like last Sunday, because our commune has a part of the national park, Skjön Lungere Land, beside the fjord and the forest. And um, we were uh, walking in the forest, then we arrived to a lake and I took the, the bath, you know, even if it was very cold. And we were talking Italian all the time. And then the, another, another, a group of person was uh, doing the fire and cooking on the fire. And they came to me saying, ah, bravo, bravo, because uh, you were not uh, scared about the cold. Please eat, uh, we just did. And, we say, we answer in Danish. And they were, okay, yeah, we do live here. <laughs> they were thinking we were tourists. I don't know, you know, during COVID, yeah. Italian tourists in, in the forest, <laughs> I baiting, you know, with four degrees. <laughs> we're just <laughs> laughing at this, Teresa. Yeah. It's just, yeah. So do you have any, do the with with the boys and just in general with you and your your husband, do you take part in any of, is there an Italian community? Like I, for example, I have a, there's a British community here in in Copenhagen and in Denmark that I am semi-involved in. Do you have anything like that where you, you, do you have Italian friends here in Denmark? Yes, yes I do. Um, But I was used to meet Italian friends much more when I used to live in Copenhagen. Uh, because we we don't have uh, Italian friends living close to us. Sometimes we meet someone you know, married with a Dane, living in Roskilde, or uh, I know a family in our commune. The, the, the family has um, daughters, 25 years old. So uh, I have friends, Italian friends in Copenhagen, and we do meet often when it's possible, but not really here. And here uh, our life is, I would say, quite similar to the Danish families because uh, we have this activity with the Boy Scout. So we are um, involved with them because both children are uh, Boy Scouts since uh, many years. And Alessandro wanted to try the, to be a scout in Denmark. And at the end, this group grew, grew so much that they need help. And I'm also involved and never been a Boy Scout in the Scouts before. And it's really nice because uh, 
are, they are among the best, the most funniest people we know here. It's very nice. And at the end, I don't really see many difference the way they do it. Maybe they are, uh, they drink less <laughs> do they? the other days. Maybe they are more, uh, you know, because very often they do activities in this um, forest. There is the spider, this, uh, the Boy Scout uh, uh, Center. And we do activities there. And uh, sometimes we do a party. We throw up a party, but it's all the Boy Scout leaders, the adults, with all the children. So it's there are parties for uh, all the ages. And um, I really like it, yes. Because uh, we could meet yeah. people with the same taste for life, not very yeah. formal. Yeah, my, my neighbor also, because uh, um, we have uh, our neighbor, we live quite isolated on the border of the national park and the forest and six kilometers from the school. So we bring the children with the bike in the morning and then they come back biking in the afternoon or we go and pick up uh, if it's raining or they come by bus. But basically around us, we have three, four other houses and they are all elderly people in or in pension and they are uh, very very welcoming and warming two of them particularly one of them is american and she's in denmark since 60 years and uh, the other one uh, was also an immigrant he's an engineer in pension and he used to live uh, 20 25 years in um, in switzerland so he knows what does it mean to be a foreign in a foreign country and my, my other neighbor, Virginia, she's 80 and she left New York at the beginning of the 60s to come to Denmark. And I say, you, you are crazy. You left New York when, you know, Miles Davis, Charlie Parker, you know, although, yeah, you know, she was in New York exactly in the right moment when, where you were supposed to be there. And she said, you know, I came here almost 60 years ago and there had no toilet in the home, you know. They had no refrigerator because you have to think she arrived here, I don't know, in uh, 1960s and Europe was just after 20, 25 years after the war. Everyone was devastated. Instead, U.S. was like 20 years ahead in terms of technological progress. So for her, even if she was coming from Virginia, is a, a southern state, you know, but still she said they were so back behind you <laughs> it was a, a diff different time for Denmark yeah. Teresa if I can ask you what would your be advice be to other families regardless of whether they come from Italy or else moving to Denmark with small children what would your advice be to them how can they best uh, help their own children get into the Danish society and sort of settle here uh, once they are uh, so small, uh, they should uh, try to first be enrolled the children, have the children enroll in the public school. I mean, where other Danish families they are, because private school or international school are also for people supposed to live in a place uh, maybe on a temporary basis. So your approach is totally different 
if you start to to say okay i stay here one year so there is no reason to learn the language for example or you learn in a way that is not very serious you spring over all the time the classes because by the way if you stay in the cities everyone speaks english i think it's a question of respect for the hosting country and uh, at the beginning the idea was to stay two three years and uh, so i didn't and i was very busy with my studies so i could not start to learn danish at the same time i start after i was done when i decide okay i need also to find a job here and in my sector agriculture environmental studies being um, talking speaking english is not enough it was necessary to speak danish and uh, i think the harvest of those effort i can have much more uh, the benefit now meanwhile it was hard and i've been i try i've been a student and i used to work in france and latin america so i had no problem in uh, feeling our family integrated in france in france i was alone by the way or in latin america because the culture the cultural distance it's uh, you know shorter than with scandinavian countries but at the end is it takes more time but it's not so dramatic and at the same time it it's what you want which is your target for you and your children and once we decide that we we will stay here it didn't make so much difference because the children were already bilingual they were already in, in the child care pietro was starting the primary school or he start after he spent one year and, and so they were already bilingual they were already used to the culture they were uh, already used to the difference so i think the it's your mental approach and you can also say okay we have to stay here one year but let's do this experiment in any case so let's send the children not in the international school even for one year and uh, if you have some interest it could be sports it could be uh, a voluntary work or uh, social activities i think there is no any other country like in denmark uh, that you have association for everything uh, for every possible kind of uh, you know uh, little museum in the middle of the forest like we have here we have a mill 600 years old part of roski the museum and they made an association because uh, this mill was the house of an elder woman so the the roski the museum made this mill as a, the house of maria the mill and the mill is very nice in itself but it has been restored through the this association and they have a middle age garden herbs garden sometime in a while you know easter christmas they open the mill they they do the activities and i think just be involved in something that give you a purpose yeah and a, a gateway into also the the danish community because yeah. there are a lot of like small associations and preservation cultures and communities people are uh, like bees here no one <laughs> is lazy constantly no working lazy. i don't know how to say everyone does like uh, two three uh, activities as voluntary it can be boy scout it can be helping the elderly can be whatever uh, the association for gardening uh, or all the people they do something or uh, they are involved in the commune uh, doing you know in the municipal council 
even my neighbor, they are elderly. And, and my neighbor, Virginia, she, she's eight years old. And she said, you know, I do voluntary work with the elderly. <laughs> I go and I visit, uh, <laughs> I visit uh, my, uh, this old lady. She's 95. She needs help. She needs because she feel lonely. So I go there, I talk to her and I help her doing things because she was a nurse and she was the major of Velso like uh, 20 years ago. So she's used to this. I mean, I have to the, draw uh, a parallel to my, my own father when I came back from living abroad and he was telling me about what he'd, he'd been doing. He was, uh, you know, of no, course, work, club, was he? It was, <laughs> of course, he was working. And then there was, uh, you know, Tuesdays, table tennis and then Spanish class on Thursdays. And <laughs> then he was helping and volunteering a project for my brother's work. And, and then he would also go uh, uh, working out a rowing club, something. But especially this time of year, because you'll speak to your Danish friends and they're like, oh, I can't do anything because I have. Well, not this time of year because of COVID, but every other normal year. They'd say, oh, I have this Eulifocus for this club. And then on that day, I have another Eulifocus for oh, right, this exactly. club. And it's just University, yeah. neighbors, <laughs> yeah. uh, faculty, then that volunteer yeah. association. <laughs> it's also... Angels bully for laughing. Uh, like <laughs> but <laughs> it's also part of just, you know, as a student, you're also often told that, uh, you know, do volunteer work because that would also look yeah. good on your CV. So I think it's as a very... touched on in our episodes. Last time, yeah. yeah. It's a very integrated part of the, the community here. But so, Teresa, you're quite settled here do you think that you would ever move back to Italy with the family while uh, while the boys are still in school no until they are uh, in school in primary school until they you know 18 years old because also another aspect they go everyone goes to live alone here after they became 18 18 19 years old I think or twi- maximum 20. For example, Pietro, I think uh, he can uh, he can easily be the kind of a person who 18 years old, 19 years old uh, can live alone. So it's not like it's like in five years, <laughs> the other one, the other one, the same. So um, I don't see myself coming back to Italy. I will come back with the right opportunity, but in order to have the opportunity, you need. You need to create your opportunity. You have to work on that opportunity. You have to uh, have your own network. Nowadays, I don't think you get from the sky, you know, an offer of like that. You have to build your own opportunity, I believe. And uh, it, it takes an effort. You need to want that happen. And r- right now, I'm not even considering this eventuality. I, I see myself here at least for many years ahead until uh, for sure my children um, are still with us and uh, will be done with the studies. I, I'm not even sure what they want to do in the future. So it's so far away that for now I just, I'm just happy to know that I have, uh, whenever I want, we have our families in Italy and uh, I, have the, I have with my sister and my mama a place uh, for vacation in Sardinia and I feel this place a place where to come every year and if I don't come every year so it's nice to know that you have roots somewhere but at the same time I feel to have it also here and because of the yeah the situation the family situation because not just because I'm working here and I like what I do but because I can see them happy to be here 
when I think that my niece in Italy, she stops to, and she's uh, 10 years old, she stopped to work to, to be in school in February in the region of Milano, and then she came back to school in September. When I see that, I think, wow, I, I want to stay in a place where uh, the, I know that they have the priority, the, the, the welfare of the people as the priority. And uh, of course, there are good things and bad things everywhere, but I really see the difference in the approach of education. They are less concerned in uh, having the results in terms of grades and things. Not for now, it's for later, I think. And you can have always an opportunity to get educated and trained. I think here they can have better educational opportunities. I miss things in the general culture that maybe because I also belong to another generation because I, I used to study Latin and Greek in the high school. And despite, I am an agronomist, I've studied agricultural science and technology. So really, you know, not art science, but technical things. I have a culture, a humanistic culture. My approach as agronomist is very humanistic. The agronomists here in Denmark are very focused on one topic. They are specialized in one field. Instead, I'm the kind of humanistic agronomist. I know a little bit. I know a little bit on everything. That that's because you always have time to go deeper on something if you have the right tools. Yeah. Do you say that you feel like you have? It's more like with the education, it's always available at any time. So if the boys wanted to go and study when they were thirty, they could go and study university rather than yeah, straight but, out. Of- uh, this is a, one very good point and a, an advantage, but I think the education here doesn't take in account uh, humanities, the stud, um, humanities studies. So the, um, when I talk about humanistic approach, uh, it's, for example, when I write a report, I try to give details, you know, to give you the much detail as possible in order to let you understand the context. Instead, my boss, just an example, say, no, you write too much, you talk too much, go straight to the point. We don't need all this introduction, this context, this narrative, you know? It's very like, go straight to the point, go straight to the numbers, go, okay, but there is no poetry sometimes when, you know? It's like <laughs> <laughs> So you have problems with talking too much on the train and in like your workplace and academic reports is what you're saying, Teresa. I think sometimes it's too uh, naked sometimes the communication. Also because I I think it's the way the, the approach, you know, to be, go straight to the point. It's a, a rhetorical way of explaining things. There is not this tradition here. And it's something that you have since uh, you you are a child in Italy, you know, much more drama, <laughs> you know, like the opera. But think to the opera, you know, you have all the theater, the scenography, the mm. costume, <laughs> much know, the more dress, drama. The... That's, I think we should just finish it there, Teresa. <laughs> much more drama yeah, yeah, in Italy. But it's, uh, I don't say it's better or worse. No, absolutely it's not. It's just different. Yeah. It's not comparable. You know, you cannot compare the, you know, when I think about Denmark, it's uh, more uh, like uh, when you come back and you are at the airport, it's everything is black, white or gray. Everything is square. 
or round and very minimalistic. So thanks to this approach, this approach in design, architecture, very minimalistic and rational, I think uh, you have also in the way of doing some time of people at work and in general uh, the way people behave. And instead, it's more synesthetic in Italy. <laughs> it's more colorful, more uh, loud, uh, the, the, the smell, everything is on another dimension, you know, more chaotic, entropy. And uh, you can like it or not, I think uh, it can fit better in a certain moment of your life, in certain situation, than others. So it's really... But I think to, to, to sum up that, uh, you know, when you do come from one culture to another, like you said, it, taking advantage of those public free opportunities yeah. that are offered by your municipality, whether whether it's uh, getting into sort of uh, extracurricular activities or if it's signing your Boys Up to Boy Scout yeah. or if it's just volunteering in your local club, it means that you get in contact with your local community, which often... if you are living in Denmark, are mainly Danes, and that's a good way to get in, not yeah. just for yourself, but also your children. Don't be scared of it, which I think a lot of... No, mm. no. Don't be scared also to talk with your accent and don't be understood by the others, because there is only one way to learn to do things, is learning by doing and to do fail, to fail a lot. Fail fail fast and fail forward, yeah. is what I always say. Yeah, and then it can be through the culture, it can be through association, so the social aspect, it can be through sports. And uh, at the end, uh, I, our life now is so busy because the children, they want to do everything. And uh, so they do Taekwondo, they sailing class uh, during the summer, the Boy Scout is all the year round, uh, or the music. So they, so they're proper Danish because they're doing everything at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah but they are doing in a way that is combinable. Because then you parent, you are in the back and uh, driving, supporting, paying. <laughs> paying for it. Paying for it. Paying for it is the main yeah, thing. Yeah, but that's the point. You are support. You are support because, for example, for music uh, in our commune more than the half of the bill is paid by the commune because our commune decided they want a music a, a music school and they want a music school for all the children, not just guitar or a drum, but also string instrument. So they play violin and cello. And because we really like classic music, it has been a very good opportunity for them. But when you live in Italy and you are in the northern Italy, beside the Alps, you don't know how to ski on go to the mountain on climb, climb, uh, do things in the mountains. I think you are quite handicapped because you cannot really enjoy what you have around. And the same in Denmark, if you are not very good in, you know, start a fire, survive outside, uh, you know, tolerate the cold, uh, go to the sea because we have the fjord and they use the optimist, you know, the, the small sailing boat. So many people, they say, how can they do everything? And I say, because they want it. And of course, sometimes they cannot go to the taekwondo because there is the sailing. And uh, so they, during the summer, they don't do the orchestra because uh, we help them a lot. But I think it's important because when I, a, a music class or a sailing class, they don't cost, music maybe cost more, but sailing class doesn't cost nothing in Italy. If a child wants to do a 
sailing class during the summer, all the summer, twice per week, like they do, they pay four, five, six times more for less time. Here the commune support every kind of sporting activity, every cultural activity, so it's very affordable. And uh, this is a this is a huge advantage. Instead, I don't think in Italy we, we could afford to do so many activities because of the price and because at the end you receive a sort of a help for the children. You can decide how to spend bonne ping. You can decide to set as a saving in their bank account for the future, or you can decide to give them with this bonne ping activities and what we did decide. We decide to use Bonneping to pay for the music class, to pay for um, different sports activities. For example, music. I try to take cello class and for me it costs four times than the price Leonardo has in, in the music school for cello. And he does in school, if I want a cello class from my teacher, I have to take the train to Copenhagen. Yeah. So, so it's, it's an support. opportunity for, for the children to try everything and just figure yeah. out what they want. Plenty yeah. of opportunities. Yeah. Plenty yeah. of opportunities. Well, wonderful. It's a country based on families with children, also for taxation system. So, <laughs> true. <laughs> think about it. Very true. Thank you very much. Yeah, Teresa. I think we, we've come to an end of the, the show for this time, but thank you so much for joining in and, and sharing um, some information with the people watching as well. Um, and and also, a Merry Christmas to you and the whole family once we get there. Ah, you see, I've, I've also the, the Christmas, Christmas tree. tree. <laughs> the, 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 wow. The, yeah, this one. Beautiful. I offer you not because oh now we're getting a, a, an exclusive view <laughs> <laughs> oh but you know this one the stars yes and, uh, it's beautiful but now a little bit of italy because uh, you can you see the the ball attached to the yes yeah. <laughs> it's a ball <laughs> well i'll tell you i live with two sicilians and we have a one of the ornaments on our christmas tree is a tiny pizza so we have a bit of italy uh, in our house as well <laughs> yeah. okay thank you so so we got a bit of insight there well we're come to the very last part the very last song of this season because this is the the last show of this season with Tiradion before we all go to christmas and new year celebrations or continue our hanukkah celebrations of as course. it is for some of us uh so cam you're in charge of music this week yes. what have you chosen i'm so excited um we had uh we there's a Yule uh, calendar Yule calendar yes so uh, should i explain what that is yes please do. so i'm completely useless tonight i'm sorry it's a it's a well it's like i would call it a tv drama that occurs every year in denmark it's for children mainly but there are adult versions as well 24 episodes, one for each day of Christmas, because Christmas is on the 24th of the evening in Denmark, not 25th in the morning. Which I don't get, I'm sorry. Even yeah, uh, I, we don't get what you guys yeah, are on yeah, about, but yeah, anyway. 24. 24th evenings of 24 episodes, it's always about something happens, we need to save Christmas. Either Santa Claus has disappeared, the Christmas ghost is not appearing, there's no snow, something's happened. Yeah. Um, and the the whole, each episode leading up to Christmas is about trying to save Christmas. And last year it was Tinker, which is an elf. Which I... 
I have no clue what that yeah. is, but you you apparently know better I than me. I just like the song. Is that really bad? I'm really sorry, DR, or if you're watching our TV too. But um, I just like the song. There's a Swedish version and there's a Danish version, and I like oh. both, and it just makes me feel really Christmassy. Last night I listened to it while eating Ebleskiva and drinking Gruk, so I'm basically a big Scandi Christmas fan. You're doing better than me. I am, yes. <laughs> so, um, yes. Before, though... Right before we, we go there. Before then. we go to that, we are... This is our last show of this season. Thank you very much, T-Radion, for hosting us for five episodes. Uh, every episode that we have broadcast on T-Radion is on Spotify, which is at Radio Lit D. No, it's Lost in Translation on Spotify. Lost in Translation by Radio Lit DK. Yes, and uh, all of our social media handles are at Radio Lit DK. Um, Thank you very much for everyone who supported this show. Yes. Um, We started talking about this show in July. It was July we started talking about it um, Um, and been just building it up and working on it ever since. Ever since. And uh, and we will continue. And although we will not be broadcasting on T-Radion during the Christmas uh, uh, period we will still be active on our social media yes. so we do encourage you guys to follow us and yes. and look out for what we're doing from everyone here at lost in translation radio lit and t radio we'd like to wish you a merry christmas and a happy hanukkah and um we will most probably and will see you soon wherever and whenever that will be thank you for listening to radio lit podcast you can support the show by following us on Facebook and Instagram at Radio Lit DK or subscribing to the podcast right here on Spotify.